So you start to develop some familiarity, but you're still being very, very specific to observe a moment as though you've never seen it before. And I think that's the balancing act. You don't ever want to get to a point where you're like, oh, you know, lights over here, waves, wave action is coming this way, so this is how I paint a wave. Because then you're in a, you're, you're, it's a recipe. Yeah. You don't want to be a, you know, it's like the difference between being a cook and a chef. You know, anybody can follow a recipe. You want to be the chef who's inventing a new dish. Welcome to the Bold Brush Show, where we believe that fortune favors the bold brush. My name is Laura Aringo Bayer, and I'm your host. For those of you who are new to the podcast, we are a podcast that covers art marketing techniques and all sorts of business tips specifically to help artists learn to better sell their work. We interview artists at all stages of their careers, as well as others who are in careers tied to the art world in order to hear their advice and insights. For today's episode, we sat down with Aaron Schur, a plein air artist based in the United States who is fascinated with capturing the beauty and the essence of the initial sensation of the places he paints. Aaron emphasizes the importance of sharing your unique experience through your work, while also keeping yourself just outside of your comfort zone in order to help you push forward and grow as an artist. We also talk about his somewhat accidental jump from student to full-time artist, why storytelling is just as important in marketing as it is in your paintings, and he gives us some excellent advice about networking and using social media and your newsletter to help you sell more work. Finally, we talk about his new video, Winter Sunset in Pastel, and his upcoming workshops. Welcome, Aaron, to The Bold Brush Show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. Yes, this is wonderful to have you. Uh, because I discovered your work when I was browsing through some of Faso's, uh, I guess, one of some of Faso's signature artists, some of their best artists, and I saw your work and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And then to top it off, when I found out that half of it is pastel, I was, what? I couldn't believe it was pastel because it's, first of all, such an uncommon medium to come across, especially with more mainstream, uh, I guess, realist painters. And also mm -hmm. because it's... Uh, the way that you handle the medium is so, I don't know, it just, it's so reminiscent of oil painting that it, right. gosh, I was like taken aback at how you can handle the medium so, I guess, so I, I don't want to say perfectly because I don't believe in perfection, but you handle it with such dexterity and such, oh, like in such a way where you really feel it. And it's so vibrant too, which is amazing. Um, but before we dive into that, uh, do you mind telling us a bit about you and who you are and what you do? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm Aaron Schur, as you know. Um, I live in Montana, a little uh, town called Livingston, Montana. It's about an hour north of Yellowstone National Park. Um, and I'm primarily focused on plein air painting. Um, more often than not, I will be out somewhere, um, whether it's near Livingston, Paradise Valley, along the Yellowstone River. Um, I have my favorite haunts around here or, you know, traveling uh, to different places. So, and I, I work in oil and in pastel. I kind of go back and forth between the two mediums. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and also the other thing that I really liked uh, when I was reading your about is how you mention how two people can be looking at the same sunset and experience it in a, I guess, in a completely different way, but still be together in that experience anyway, which uh, knowing that you live so close to 
such beautiful places in, in nature that it makes a lot of sense that you would have this reverence, you know, for those experiences and that you'd be out there like as much as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, I think that what I, what I focus on, um, in my work, um, it's not about the replicating the place. It's about sharing your experience. Um, and, you know, and trying to be honest and open to the surprise of experience um, and finding a way to, to, to translate that. Um, so I, I think of being responsive um, and in plein air painting, being improvisational to a degree. Um, and so basically, I think as artists, we're just we're sharing stories. And, you know, I, I kind of start the story and use the viewer, finish it. Um, and it's that, that experience that I'm trying to convey in the work. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely see it. Um, because as you just mentioned, you know, there's a little bit of improvisation with, uh, plein air specifically because I mean, the sun moves, well, actually we move, but <laughs> the sun in right. our sky seemingly moves really fast. Um, so it's, it's like, you gotta be on it. You gotta really catch it before, you know, the light hitting that specific, you know, part of a tree or that rock and it has to be you know you have to catch it before it's gone because sometimes you know the ambiance can just shift so much with just 10 15 minutes of being outside um so capturing it is whew, a challenge when, when i teach i i um i call it the initial sensation and i think i i think i stole that term from uh Cezanne. Um, painting is realizing one's sensation i think is his quote um, but it got me thinking about, you know, when I when I go out, whether it's on foot or I'm just driving to try to find a spot, um, there's something within the larger scope of things that catches my eye. I call it the, the initial sensation. So like when I'm teaching workshops, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll take the group and we'll just walk because I want people to get that idea of when you're going out to paint, you can't just say, oh, my goodness, that's so beautiful. Um, there's something about your response um, that makes your response unique. Um, and so trying to, to catch that and define it, what is it? Maybe it's the light on the creek um, or the, the bend in the creek or the, the silhouette of a cottonwood. Um, and so just really trying to hold on to that idea um, and articulate that idea rather than chasing the suns the you know chasing the landscape um i think is is kind of key to, to finding a personal voice in the landscape yeah that's a very good point um i guess you know i'm personally not a planner painter i haven't tried it yet uh i'm a little <laughs> bit afraid you know a little bit like oh should i do it this is really intimidating um but i think you know one day when i do i will think back on what you're saying uh, right now because <laughs> it's a good point you know it's like it's a little bit like when you have like a, a figure model and you're trying to sometimes you know they move around a bit it's not fun to just chase the pose it's really important to just capture that gesture as they say so it, it seems like you capture that gesture of the environment that you're in uh which is it's very similar how in and interesting how it you know transfers itself in that way um and actually, speaking of, you know, that first sensation, when was your first sensation? When did you think, oh, my gosh, 
I I have to do this. I want to capture this in painting. When was that first moment? There was a day when I was eight years old that changed everything. So uh, this woman, I still remember her name, Heather Berman. If you're out there, find me. (laughs) Uh, Heather Berman uh, lived down the street from us. And for some reason, and I don't know why, she was at my house. She was designing our elementary school mascot, the Eastview Wildcats. Mm. So she had a stack of library books of, you know, big cats um, and some paper and pencils. And she was doing a drawing of a, a lynx, is what I recall. And I watched her. I had never seen someone draw representationally before. Um, my school was an underfunded school. We didn't have our teacher. Um, and so I, I watched her for a while and I was mesmerized and then I snuck off with one of the books and paper. I don't think I asked her. I think I was too embarrassed to ask her, but I snuck away and I did a drawing of a mountain lion on a cliff, you know, from, from the book. And it fulfilled everything an eight-year-old wants. One, it was, it was interesting. Um, it, it got my attention. And second, it got other people's attention. Um, mm. So, you know, like when you're eight years old, well, it's still, it's pretty much the same thing now. It gets me interested, keeps me interested. And uh, hopefully it gets other people interested because otherwise I can't keep doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But from that day forward, I knew I wanted to be an artist. Um, and there was a few little diversions along the way, but essentially that was a... Mm-hmm. Um, where I started my path. Um, and then another key day, um, fast forward to college, uh, I went to the Art Institute in Chicago. I was doing more um, abstract work. I was doing a little performance art, um, really enamored with Dada and um, the early 20th century um, abstraction, um, which I still think is interesting work. Anyway, I went on an exchange program to an art school in Scotland called Duncan of Jordanstone College of Art. Uh, I loved it there. It was a place I felt more at home than anywhere I'd ever been. Funny enough, another country. Um, so I ended up transferring. Uh, I spent two years in Scotland, got my degree over there. The start of my, what would have been my last year there, um, some friends invited me to go sketch uh, at the beach at St. Andrews. So on the East coast of Scotland, you kind of walk across the, the, the world's first golf course out to the beach. And then there's this beautiful profile of St. Andrews. So I took a big board and some charcoal paper. Um, Cause that's what seemed to make sense. And I did a, a landscape uh, in charcoal and it was like meeting myself for the first time. Uh, I, I never felt such pure joy as doing that landscape. And so in my final year, we're, we're supposed to be preparing for a degree show. The whole degree is ranked on your final show. It's not like American schools. There's no GPA, there's no accumulated credit. You have a show at the end and it's your degree is ranked. So I'm supposed to be doing big, finished, frameable work. And all of a sudden, I just started taking the bus or the train out of town and doing, at that point, just charcoal drawings. Um, 
and just trying to figure it out. And there was no one, like I had some good instructors, but there was no one that did landscape. So there was no, you know, I didn't know what planar paint, I don't think there was the term in wide use at that point. And so I was just figuring it out. Um, so by the time I got to my degree show, um, I got a fairly poor degree, like, like my mark on the, on, for my degree, but I sold almost every painting in the show. So, um, that works. And the other key moment in that one, the other funny, I guess the third key moment in, in my trajectory was I came home for a Christmas break. So home being, um, Illinois. Um, and I was in the basement looking for something and I found a pastel set. My mother had taken one art class in her entire life. And it was when she was pregnant with me, um, which I think is funny. Um, and a friend of hers had gifted her a pastel set and it was an old set of Grumbach, a set of Grumbachers, which back then they made some great pastels. And so I brought it upstairs and I was like, Mom, what is this? Can I have it? And she said, Yeah, I haven't touched it since she was pregnant with me. <laughs> so I brought that back with me for my final semester um, in Scotland. And that gave me the transition from charcoal into pastel. Um, and, you know, because I, before that I was doing basically charcoal drawings with a little bit of color. So that gave me enough ammunition to, to, to kind of make them more pastel paintings rather than drawings. And, um, yeah, so those, those are the few of the key, many key moments. But, um, yeah, so then I did pastel for a number of years. And then it was after, um, really after 9-11. Um, when the whole art world just kind of shut down. And so I thought, well, I'm broke anyway. I might as well start learning oil. Um, so I started doing oil landscapes. Um, I knew I, I had the, the space to do a lot of bad paintings, and I did. Um, and so now I go back and forth between the two mediums. Mm. Wow. I really love hearing about those key moments because it's yeah. so funny. I was talking to a friend about this the other day, how sometimes we when we're in that moment and we remember being in that moment, we don't really think about it, right? Like in that moment, we're like, oh, this is just another moment in my life. But then when you look back, it's like, oh my God, this completely shifted my whole direction in my life. And I was aware enough in that moment to follow that lead, right? If you hadn't paid attention to those pastels, you know, it might've been a completely different reality that you'd be facing right now. Um, So it's like really mind-blowing to look back at those key moments and be like, uh-huh. wow, these are real turning points in my life. Um, right. And that's so beautiful. Um, and speaking of beauty, um, because you seem to have a, a very keen eye and a, and a you know, a, an inner drive to find and capture that beauty in nature and in landscapes. And I was wondering, you know, what role does that beauty play in your artwork? And how do you define that beauty within the context of your artistic pra- practice? I think that's that's a difficult question, and I, I and I think I can maybe talk around it, but I don't know if I can get right to the heart of it. Um, 
I think beauty is, it's a relationship. It's not a thing. It's not out there. Um, it's kind of in here. Um, I know that sounds a little, maybe a little schmaltzy. Um, but going back to what I said before about the relationship um, and what you said about that statement I have about um, sunset, how, you know, when, when you have, when we see a sunset, we want to turn to the person next to us and say, Oh my goodness, did you see that? Um, it's funny. I was thinking, this is a little odd way of coming at it, but I was, I was driving a few weeks ago and the light was glistening off of the guardrail. And it was just, you know, it was late in the afternoon, uh, curve on a hill. And, and so there's like this bead of light that's just racing just ahead of the vehicle because of the angle of the sun. And it suddenly struck me that all the vehicles behind me and in front of me were also getting a bead of light, but it wasn't my bead. You know, it's because it's through your your lens that you're getting that reflection. So like when we say we're out watching a, um, let's say we're out watching a sunset on the West Coast, you know, and I paint in California a lot. And, you know, you get sometimes, you know, we might have a hundred people out there looking at sunset. Um, and you get that glistening sunset light on the water. Well, it's it's a strange reality to think that each person is getting their own um, their own sunset, their own little bit of reflection. So if you have a hundred people, there's a hundred different um, uh, teardrop teardrops of light along the water. Um, and I. I, re- I, I guess I had never thought of that, and it kind of blew me away that the relativity of the visual experience um, in in nature or anywhere, and and yet when we finish, you know, when the sunset's done, it's not like you think, well, how was your sunset? My sunset was like this, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's our sunset. We we think of it as one thing. We think of it collectively. So I think. As an artist, what's such a magical thing is that I can show you what my reality was. I can share that with you. Um, I can show you that one singular view. Um, And that's what I love about, say, you know, you go out and paint with a a group of artists. And we're all painting what is most truthful to our experience. And it's so different. Um, And I think that's the magic. And I think that's what connects us to each other through art. Wow. I'm very mind blown. (laughs) That is so true. You know, we do each get like very different, as you say, drops or or photons of light hitting us. And even the way that our our own brains can, you know, perceive it. And then, you know, because you don't really see with your eyes, you see with your brain, which is kind of trippy to me. So that's also so dependent on your own brain. Um, And I love that you mentioned this because, you know, a lot of people, I feel like they struggle to see their own voice and see their own vision precisely because they're under that assumption that they are collectively saying the same thing, um, which is such a fantastic point to make. Um, and I think anyone who listens to what you just said should really take that into account that no one really sees in the same way. Um, and that also, that also reminds me of this uh, ancient Greek quote. I can't remember who who said it, but, and it's so funny because it's actually about the idea of atoms when they were trying to come up with the idea of atoms. 
But um, one of them said, you never step in the same river twice. And I think that is so true when it comes to what you just said, right? You never see the same sunset twice and no one sees the same exact sunset either um, in the same way. So, wow, that is so mind-blowing. It's like the collective and the individual, you know, kind of like, oh, fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the other... It's so funny because now we're going to switch over to something a little a little less philosophical. But um, <laughs> I think the other challenging thing is, you know, when you went from, you know, studying in Scotland and having, um, you know, these this realization about what you really, really loved. How was it like for you to transition, you know, from student to I'm living from my work? What was that like for you? Well, I I went full time by mistake. Um, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. I always had this, I don't know if, if this is a common kind of way of thinking about it, but, um, I had this idea that there would be this, this moment, like going from part-time to full-time artist. that, and I always had this idea that we would have, I don't know, books with numbers in front of us, you know, where we'd be sitting there, my wife and I would be sitting there and, and, you know, we, we, we'd really discuss it and make a plan and say, all right, you know, it's, it's time to, to really go for it now that we've got the pieces together. And it didn't happen like that at all. None, none of nothing in my life has happened in that deliberate way. It feels like. So when I finished art school, I had sold enough paintings to move out to Montana. I moved out to Montana because I had met a girl from Montana um, and we had gotten engaged and so my friends in Chicago thought I was absolutely insane. So you're going to go out to Montana, which none of us can even find on a map. And you're going to go and be an artist. And I said, something like that. Yes. <laughs> um, they, they thought I was absolutely bonkers because, you know, the idea is that if you're going to be an artist, you go to you know, Chicago or New York or LA or, you know, some big city. And I'm going out to Montana where there's less than a million people in the whole state. Um, and I got out to, uh, initially to Bozeman, Montana, and there were more artists. Uh, I now live in Livingston. There are more painters, writers, musicians, um, filmmakers than I have met anywhere. Livingston, uh, this little town I live in per capita has more professional writers than New York or Chicago. Um, it's, it's crazy. Um, and it's what, what I loved about being out here is, um, instead of people asking me, well, what are you going to do with that? When I told them I was going to be an artist, you ever had an art major. Well, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to make a living? When I came out West, people said, well, what kind of work do you do? Oh, no one really cares how successful I am. They just want to know what you're creating. Um, so that was refreshing. So anyway, I waited tables. I um, taught little kids to cross-country ski. I was a youth director at one point. Um, I did home health care. Uh, sometimes I did more than, you know, I might have up to three jobs at one time. Um, but I always worked as little as possible on, on those jobs um, to try to, to focus on my artwork. So that I did that for about 10 years after, after art school, where I worked part-time, 
my last job was as a youth director and I could see that the program was growing and I was going to have to ask for more hours. But I also realized that when I was working with the kids, I was thinking about the painting I wanted to finish. When I was painting, I was thinking I really should get this next event planned. Um, so I thought this is a way to get in trouble, um, you know, not, not being prepped, prepared. So I put in my notice. I assumed I would get a, another job. And there was a number, a handful of times that I went to restaurants, stood outside because I knew they were hiring. I knew I could get a waitering job. I'd done that for 10 years. And I'd stand there and I'd say, all right, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And, and I kept doing that. And then one day I realized, wait a second, I think I might be a full-time artist because I had kept putting off getting a job for <laughs> months. And so that was 2005. So do the math. I've been uh, at it for a while. Um, so it, it kind of took me by surprise. I think the hard thing about going from that transition from part-time to full-time is it is a leap. Um, and it's scary and it never stops being a little bit scary, um, being an artist, you know, you just don't know when the next opportunity, the next paycheck is coming. Um, and most of us are not, you know, raking it in every month. Um, it's, it's, it's still feast and famine. Um, but just having the faith that you can keep plugging away at it. And in my case, um, one of the real key uh, elements is key support. I mean, edit point. Yeah. <laughs> um, in my case, my wife has been absolutely key to me being where I'm at. Um, she has always encouraged and supported me. And there's there's points on the journey where if she had said, "I can't handle the the strain and stress of this." you need to go get a job. I would have said, okay, I'll do it. But she never, there's times when I was ready to give up and she's like, no, nope, no, nope, keep at it. Just don't let all the, the clutter um, and stress and strain get to you. Just keep painting. Um, and, uh, and that's meant the world to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. That support is really, it can be make or break so mm -hmm. often so it is so wonderful to hear that you had you know that support system um because i i mean i totally understand it especially with that it's working out this month it's not working out next month you know it, it can be really stressful so it's great to have someone there mm -hmm. next to you holding your hand like you know it's okay it's okay we got this I we can do this <laughs> um and yeah. they might not even fully believe that either they might also be kind of freaking out but just the feeling of like okay no we can pull through this that's amazing. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's kind of the anchor, um, the rudder. I don't know. Um, I'm a little bit all over the place and, and I tend to, to get, you know, I tend to get stressed e more easily. Mm. Um, you know, I, I feel like over the years I've unnecessarily lost way too much sleep. Um, <sighs> you know, wondering how things are going to work out and then somehow, I don't know, they do. And, and then I think, well, why did I stress out so much? And then I do it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God, dude, story of my life. <laughs> I feel that I think, so much. I think all of us in the art world, I mean, I've oh. even 
artists that I artists that I look up to that are you know really successful. I'm like, wait, you're sweating it a little too sometimes. Oh, okay, good to know. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a collective thing, I guess. Um, yeah. Probably because of that, you know how like especially for example, like you mentioned. You actually started what you said 2005 and then you know i can imagine it might have been a challenge once you know the, the 2008 economic crash happened because i have heard from other artists who started around the same time were like oh my god that was yeah, the hardest it, time well the the biggest tragedy that i had in my career was uh, um right at the height of the recession um the gallery a gallery in bozeman that i showed out and it was my only gallery um it blew up in a gas line explosion um and the person who had basically had take she had rescued my career at, at a key point where i was really thinking i needed to get a job and i went in and showed her my work and um well it turned out she had already followed my work and said erin i've always wanted to show your work and she just really made things happen um and she was so personal with the way that she she ran things and she came in early in the morning and uh flipped this the light switch and the whole half a block um went disappeared basically blew up and so that was right at the height of the recession so that was both you know financially crazy and it was emotionally you know, like nothing I'd ever experienced. Um, and uh, so I don't know. I look back on that and I don't know how we got through. I do know that there were people during that time that, like I had someone call me and say, hey, we want to commission you to do uh, a painting whenever. We're going to just give you uh, $2,000 down on that. And it was unspoken. <laughs> that they knew what, what we were going through. Um, and, you know, was it really a commission? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. um, so I did have some people that just came, came out and like, Hey, I want to buy one of your paintings. Cause I, can I come to your studio um, or buy a couple of paintings? And I think that they knew that we were on the brink um, during that time. So it's um, yeah. The support over the years of just, friends and collectors and fellow artists is so crucial to um you know getting up and getting behind the easel every day absolutely and that's that's a very great point too because um i think a lot of artists you know since it's such a solo career you know we're always mm -hmm. behind our easel we're always in our studio or in our head you know thinking about the next painting or whatnot um it can be really easy to underestimate the importance of that support system and, and actually building those relationships and, um, you know, making those friends and networking that can really, I mean, make the, the difference between literally, you know, being a starving artist, um, and, you know, making a living and, and, you know, when you do face that hardship of, oh my gosh, like I'm about to literally claim bankruptcy, um, you know, you can count on other people who appreciate your work and want to help you out who right. can pull you out of that dark hole. I mean, it's so important. Right. Yeah. 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 The friendships and, and then, uh, you know, on, uh, just the learning that, um, that I've done and that, that I've experienced just from 
not always just taking workshops, but just just being with other artists. Um, I think of a, a trip that we um, see a year ago, um, a year year and a half ago. Um, I got together with a, a, another artist friend. Um, we were talking after the Laguna Plain Air Painting Invitational, and we started talking about why don't we just get a group of artists together and just do a trip because we're always painting for a show, you know, we're doing Mm -hmm. plein air painting shows. And so it's hard to be as, you know, all that social when you're like, I've got to get these paintings done and get them in frames and get them in by this date. So we, we just called some of our artist friends and uh, we rented a a vacation rental down at uh, near Capitol reef national park. Um, And we spent a week there painting um and we set up a schedule so that each of us was cooking dinner for everyone one night so i only had to worry about dinner one night um and then we would just go into the the park and paint and and at night we would lay out our half finished or finished paintings and see what everybody did and um we had a pile of art books and just look at the art books and um, what made me laugh is that we were not under the pressure of a plein air show for this thing. And there were so many nights that I painted till dark. And I thought, wow, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any pressure on painting 12 hours a day, but I'm painting 12 hours a day because I'm painting with people that I love mm-hmm. and painting a landscape that is just so intriguing to me. Um, so that, you know, so finding ways to, um, develop friendships that are not always strictly professional, I think is, mm-hmm. is it's good for the soul. Yes. Yeah. And good for inspiration too. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's great to have, you know, collaborations with friends and, and talk to them and see their perspective. And, and as you were saying, you know, learn from them, they learn from you and, you know, you share mm-hmm. all of these things. It's, it's wonderful. Um, and, um, and I think one of the best places too, especially today, because of course in the early two thousands, it wasn't really available, but now, you know, with social media, it has truly become, you know, a lot easier to communicate with people, especially, you know, other artists that you might never have known about who you connect with. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, if, if the internet didn't exist and we didn't have social media, I would never have had the opportunity to see this work and then get inspired in this specific way to go in this direction. You know, it really has yeah. opened everything up. Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, it's, it's a, that, that is definitely the, the, the good side of social media is just, um, I, I get challenged too. I mean, it's both, you know, there's that feeling of being inspired by what you see. And then there's that feeling of, Oh my goodness, that's like so beyond where I'm at. Um, mm-hmm. So like, am I inspired or am I discouraged? <laughs> yes. Um, it's mostly inspired, area. but I, 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 mm-hmm. I find it really fascinating and, and, and it definitely is one of the elements of how I've grown in the past, you know, a few years. It's just looking at what other people are doing and how they're solving the same kinds of problems artistically. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a great uh, point to make. Yeah. Because I, I also, referred to painting as you know as problem solving um and that's why you know studying others or studying you know in the past how they did it they usually already have the answer it's like why would i reinvent the wheel when someone has already done this successfully um and i could just put a bit of a spin on it on my own end you know and like create it in my own way but 
without completely altering the entire process, um, mm-hmm. which is really great. Um, and the one thing I, I wanted to ask you too about that leap that you made, do you have any advice uh, for someone who's wanting to make that leap into full-time painting? I, I can share, basically I can only share what my journey is. Um, and, and I just want to emphasize that <clears throat> your journey is different. Um, I had this idea that when I was going into it, that everybody else had the manual, you know, the, how to be the artist manual of some kind. And I always felt like I was the only one that didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And then you start talking to other artists and, and realize that everybody feels like that. So, um, one, don't feel like you need to have everything figured out and together. Um, it's always a learning process. I'm still, I've been at it a while, and I still feel like there's so many areas that I can streamline things or learn, whether it's on the financial side um, or it's on the, um, the, the improving as an artist. I would say one really, really important thing that I would tell my younger self is keep track of your collectors and the people that you interact with. Um, I was not good at doing that. Um, You know, one of my early on, one of the the things that really helped my career was uh, this CM Russell exhibit. Um, it, It was a week up in Great Falls, Montana that, um, a, a hotel was converted into gallery spaces. And so it got my work out there in a way that I hadn't been out there before. Um, and so I, and it also got me direct sales and I didn't really keep track of those people back then. And I think that was a major missed opportunity. Um, I'm still struggling with this. I'm getting better, but so like for me now, um, my newsletter is gold um, because it's a place. So social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, that's a great, it's like the gateway drug. <laughs> <In a way. laughs> yeah. um, your work gets out there and it's fun to have that kind of res- instant response, um, whether it's to a painting or a reel or, um, but I, I'm, I've only made sporadic sales through social media, um, but getting people over to my newsletter um, where I, people are choosing to open the emails, you know, it's their choice. I send out the emails, their choice to open it versus Instagram where they're just, they're scrolling and maybe it catches their eye. Um, and so they're choosing to read it. So that means they're actually following you. Um, and so since the pandemic, that kind of direct relationship has been really, really important to um, keeping. It's it's galleries are still very very important. Having really good relationships with my galleries, um, making sure that I'm communicating with my galleries, keeping them supplied with work, um, is really really important because. For me, like the, the galleries are places where, you know, say like behind you is a large painting. Um, that's that's something that would go in a gallery. Um, they're better able to, to handle work like that. But, um, you know, sometimes doing little 
I've, I've done a number of fun projects that I've shared with my newsletter subscribers, usually with smaller paintings um, that kind of augment the gallery um, sales and make things a little bit more stable um, for me. Yeah. At Bold Brush, we inspire artists to inspire the world because creating art creates magic. And the world is currently in desperate need of magic. Bold Brush provides artists with free art marketing, creativity, and business ideas and information. This show is an example. We also offer written resources, articles, and a free monthly art contest open to all visual artists. We believe that fortune favors the bold brush. And if you believe that too, Sign up completely free at boldbrushshow.com. That's B-O-L-D-B-R-U-S-H show.com. The Bold Brush Show is sponsored by Basso. Now more than ever, it's crucial to have a website when you're an artist, especially if you want to be a professional in your career. Thankfully, with our special link, faso.com forward slash podcast, you can make that come true and also get over 50% off your first year on your artist website. Yes, that's basically the price of 12 lattes in one year, which I think is a really great deal considering that you get sleek and beautiful website templates that are also mobile-friendly, e-commerce, print-on-demand in certain countries, as well as access to our marketing center that has our brand new art marketing calendar. And the art marketing calendar is something that you won't get with our competitor. The art marketing calendar gives you day-by-day, step-by-step guides on what you should be doing today, right now, in order to get your artwork out there and seen by the right eyes so that you can make more sales this year. So if you want to change your life and actually meet your sales goal this year, then start now by going to our special link, faso.com forward slash podcast. That's F-A-S-O dot com forward slash podcast. Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, it as artists, especially, you know, it, it's having a gallery is really great uh i know a lot of artists who use galleries exclusively and obviously pros and cons right pros are they handle everything they can sell bigger pieces they have collectors that they already have on a list um but you know when you uh since you are the supply right if you don't paint there's no money right so um i think one of the great ways uh to survive and well not really survive but to thrive as an artist is to you know diversify income which i think you're doing a really great job at because you recently actually had a release of a video uh winter sunset in pastel um on paint tube so i think that's that's a really great way to supplement income but uh can you tell us a little bit more about your video yes um so that this has been a really really fun process um, so this is with Streamline Publishing, Paint, Paint Tube TV, the you know the people that do Plain Air Magazine and Fine Art Connoisseur, um, and the Plain Air Convention. Mm-hmm. So in May I went down to Austin, and I uh, spent a week filming two videos, uh, one pastel, one oil. The pastel video, Winter Sunset and Pastel, um, has just come out, um, and I'm I'm really excited about this one. A um, couple of reasons. One is I I put a lot of preparation work into it. Um, I wanted to make sure that the the piece that I did for the video would be something that I'm proud of because um, I've done you know I've done lots of demos for workshops and sometimes sometimes they work and sometimes you're like oh um, 
don't look too closely. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit in mess. So I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity. So I did a lot of, of prep work. Um, and I love that the, the, the subject is very personal to me. It's a, it's a spot up in the, in the mountains that I found cross country skiing. So I went back and, um, uh, basically had to ski back in there and set up in, in the winter to do plain air paintings um, that were the basis of the piece that I did for the videos. So going back to that idea of relationship and experience, this is a place that you know I had to do some work to get to. Um, I also just really enjoy that it's it's essentially it's like long form storytelling. You know, this is a studio piece, so it's it's um, I'm not rushing like. You know, sometimes when I'm doing a demo, like you've got an hour and a half and you got to get this thing done. So this is, I worked on it for over two days. Um, the team was great to work with. So um, yeah, I'm super excited. And uh, the other part of that, that's kind of fun. Um, I just got a phone call literally 15 minutes before we got on here. Um, I'm going to do a um, pre-convention workshop for um, the plein air convention next May in North Carolina. Um, so that kind of ties into, you know, the video. Um, so another, another way to, um, uh, share what I've learned with pastel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, and I think you bring up another really interesting point, which is storytelling. And I think that's something else that, I don't think a lot of artists really take into consideration, um, especially in terms of tying it into marketing. Um, mm-hmm. Because, of course, if you want to sell, you you know you have to market. Um, it's impossible to live as an artist without good marketing. I think that also makes makes and breaks a, a good career. So I wanted to ask you how you you know use storytelling both in your work and to help market your work. That's a a great question. Um, I. I'm also an actor. Um, I do a lot of acting, and so storytelling is at the heart of everything I do. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm finding more and more that there are um, there's a cross pollination between acting, writing, painting. Um, in fact, I I do some work with a, uh, an acting group called Insight Theater, um, and we do site specific theater events, usually based around Shakespeare. Um, and usually the, the director has me out painting. So I'll be out playing air painting, um, at one of these locations and you have these tour groups that come through and I will stop and I will perform. And usually I'm performing something from Shakespeare, but she has me write around, um, to, to write something about the artistic experience and tie it into Shakespeare monologues. Um, and so that has been a, just a, a beautiful um, uh, convergence of everything that I love, the interaction with people through acting, writing, painting. Um, so that's kind of at my heart of, of what I do, even though painting is a very solitary endeavor. Um, I think storytelling, the story of your experience is so key um, both in terms of creating richer work, but also creating those relationships that you need in order to pay the bills. 
Um, so the two fronts I think of the storytelling on storytelling is uh, one is the you know social media gallery website newsletter all of those and then the other side of it is going out and having those solitary experiences that create the stories um so one of the things that you know looking at the the social media side of things you know early on i, I started noticing that if i put paintings you know I, I sometimes would photograph my paintings in the landscape you know sometimes it just works out that they slot in um and it looks like a window you know with the larger landscape and i started putting those on on facebook and instagram because they're just kind of fun and i thought this is a way of letting people into the creative process a little bit showing the setting um and you know those would get way more interest and traction than if i just put a painting huh there's something here and what i realized is that part of what we do enjoy about social media is that we get to have some kind of relationship to the creative process through that you know so on social media i can show uh you know maybe i i do a reel and i i've been doing a lot of time lapse um videos when i got a pain i just set up a a, a second tripod and i put the put my phone on it and i just do time lapse and so i share those as reels people really enjoy that because they get to see that the magic of the process um so um, I feel like that's letting people in on what your experience is in a way. Um, and, and I think it's good for not everybody can go and collect your work. Not everybody can come in, in, into the gallery and see your work in person. So giving them that experience is just a good thing to give to the world. Um, so there's that side of things. My newsletter is another one where I always try to share um, a little bit of the story behind the paintings. Um, I don't just try to make it this professional bullet point, you know, newsletter. Like I just sent one out yesterday where I shared a painting of the Yellowstone River and I told a little story about my son and I buying a canoe last summer and how we spent the whole summer trying to figure out how to navigate the Yellowstone River and dump that canoe so many times. And my wife, that she would not get in the canoe until we had a, a accident-free run. And it wasn't until the end of the summer. So I shared that story because that painting got me thinking about that experience. Um, so rather than just being like, hey, I've got this painting and you should you should collect it. And it's this, it's a great painting, and here's what it costs. Um, just saying, hey, I did this painting, and here's a little nugget of what the process meant to me. Right. Um, and then trust that hopefully they will, um, someone will be like, wow, I have that, I have a similar experience. And so I really want that painting. Um, so that's the one side. For me, the experience side is um, I'm a little bit extreme maybe on this um, in seeking out experience. Um, it's why I, I plain air paint. Um, but I've done a number of, trips, um, uh, solo backpacking painting trips. Um, I did one six-day trip 
trek across the Grand Canyon from the North Rim to the South Rim. Um, that one was with Pastel um, and basically did about two paintings per day as I trekked along. Uh, I've done I've done one across the Beartooth Mountains into the Spanish Peaks uh, into Mount Range in the Indian Peaks in Colorado. So these are solo trips um, into the high country, carrying everything on my back, um, which none of this makes any sense, really. I mean, I can do great. I can just paint roadside and mm -hmm. find a lifetime worth of stuff to paint. But for me, the thing of being in the, in, in the mountains for, you know, up to six days, six days is my limit of what I can carry between mm -hmm. food and painting gear at this point. Um, but, and the solitude to me is key, um, being alone. Um, and this is going to sound a little bit odd, but I need to know that there are places that are bigger than me. There are places that could kill me. Um, I know that sounds extreme, and I'm very. I I, I will put this caveat. At I I'm very experienced in the mountains. Um, I do a lot of planning. Um, these are not these trips are not done casually. Um, but to know that there's a world out there that's wild, um, that I have to have, you know, I'm in the bear tooth, I have to have bear spray. I have to be aware of what's happening around me. Um, I can't just get completely lost in, in what I'm painting. I have to be aware of what's happening with the weather, of how many miles I need to, to go, um, staying, um, not getting lost. Um, and those, I, I don't know, I can't say specifically how that works into the paintings, other than I'm getting out there to find the subject matter. But I, I believe that somehow that solitude um, does work its way into uh, the, the paintings in a way that's more personal to, to my experience. And for me, it's the way that I quiet the clutter. You know, I think we all walk around with a whole lot of clutter up here. Um, you know, it's hard. You might be out painting and thinking, okay, what am I going to cook for dinner? And, um, oh, shoot, I got to, I forgot to answer that email. Um, you know, it's, it's hard not to get distracted. I'll be in the studio and suddenly like, wait, I just checked. Why did I just check Instagram on my phone? I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> like, I just wasted 10 minutes, you know, so there's all of that stuff. So for me, these these trips into the mountains um, or into the Grand Canyon um, are a way of just having a, a singular moment of being, in, in theater we say um, acting truthfully in the moment, um, being fully in the moment. Um, and it's the same thing in, in painting. But the best times are when I forget myself and I'm being completely carried along by subject by what's happening around me and that's the place that i can do it in the most purest form oh my gosh you are hitting on some very fascinating things um because i'm a huge fan of, of buddhism um and a lot of what you're saying is very much is very buddhist um the idea mm -hmm. of meditation 
of that egolessness of seeing yourself as part of the whole, right? You are literally immersing yourself in an environment um, and experiencing it from a primordial sense, right? Of life or death, of course, in a safe manner, because you study these places ahead of time. Um, But you are also, like you said, you're getting out of your head because you have to, right? You have to be outside of your head to be aware of what's going on around you. And it makes you definitely live more in the moment, which is another Buddhist ideal um, of experiencing life and accepting it as it is um, and remembering that you are a part of the all, um, even though you're an individual. So I definitely think it bleeds into your work because imagine like, yeah, you could go on the roadside, but anyone else can go on the roadside, right? You are literally going into places that very rarely see a human being you know you're going to these uh pretty isolated spots that you're capturing that who knows in the future they might not even exist um you never know what can happen so you're also documenting not just your experience in these places but you're also documenting these places that are rarely ever seen which i think adds even more value to the work and the narrative and the experience it's like (laughs) mind-blowing It's it's been good for 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 me as an artist. It's funny. I was thinking about um, not not to diffuse the 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 ethereal beauty of this idea. Um, so I did this trip across the Beartooth um, two summers ago, um, and I hiked uh, west to east across the Beartooth Mountains, and I was painting by this lake um, second day, and couple of hikers came by on the trail about where I was and they came walking down to see what I was doing. They saw the easel out there and the woman sees, sees me and sees the easel and she goes, Oh my God, you're Aaron Sure. I was like, what? She says, I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> I just cracked me up. I am, I'm like at this point, I'm probably 10 miles into the wilderness. <laughs> and this woman is like, I follow you on Instagram. A... <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's funny. I'm like, okay, it all comes together somewhere. Um, I mean, yeah, she probably also notices that, you know, you paint those places that she liked. So, it's, right. wow, that's like catching, I don't know, catching your favorite person in the act. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> You're like, what's the chance here? of being way out in the middle of the most remote mountain range in Montana. And <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's like one in a million, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah. Uh, but that, you know, that also brings another, cause we touched upon this earlier, another interesting part, which is, you know, those connections, you know, like mm-hmm. the networking aspect of um, not just, you know, making friends with other artists and collectors, but also, you know, connecting with your audience um, and really having that rapport, that makes, you know, that shows your authentic side and also, you know, in a way, you know, keeps you a little bit protected because no one really knows anyone. But, you know, you're still expressing a side of you that's authentic that people will respond to and see themselves reflected in. Um, How important do you find that networking to be? And what strategies do you use to network uh, even more? Right. Uh, well, like I said before, the, the newsletter is, is one of the key, key areas. Um, 
And then uh, I can add to that a couple of, occasionally I'll do just fun projects. Um, and these really started during the, the pandemic, you know, because everything was, all the galleries were closing. And I thought it was going to be like 2008 all over again, you know, where, yeah. um, you know, galleries are closed, shows are closed, all my workshops are canceled. What am I going to do? And so I, um, I started off, I just did a studio sale um, and marketed it first to the news, newsletter subscribers. Um, and that did, did well. Because uh, I was just thinking about, like, let's put together some projects that just get me through, if I can just get through a month, um, you know, keep us from getting kicked out of our house or whatever. Uh, and then I did, um, I called it a, a plein air marathon. And so that one I did um, a painting a day, or every weekday, I took the weekends off, um, eight by 10, and until I got to 26 paintings. And... So I would go out in the morning and do the painting, come back, um, and then I'd write something up for the newsletter. And then, and that was something where it was just the, the newsletter subscribers had the first chance of buying it. So I sold them all unframed at that point. I mean, I sold them all for $400 each, which is way under retail, but they're just unframed, you know, on the spot paintings. Um, but each one, you know, I have a little story with it about what happened that day. Um, and then what I could do is then I put on Instagram and Facebook, hey, this is the painting I did. It sold. But if you want to have a crack at the next one, you got to sign up for my newsletter. Um, and so that kind of brought people to the newsletter. And again, I, I like when I started this project, I thought, well, one, it'll get me out painting. It'll be a good discipline. Um, it'll get me out painting every day. And then uh, two, that... Um, if I just sell a handful of them, you know, get through another month. And I ended up selling all of them. And I ended up having to, I did some extras because there were people that were like, hey, I tried three times or four times to get one of your paintings. And someone was always there first. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll do, you know, I'll do another one for you. Um, so that was like a, a big aha moment of, you know, creating a, a fun project. Um, one that I'm just about to do that I've done the last three years, I call it the 12 paintings of Christmas. Um, and it's six by eight, six by eight or eight by eight paintings. I'll start December 1st, go through December 12th. Um, and they're, so they're little ones and I frame them because I figure it's Christmas. So then it'd be nice for people to have frame. They're um, nicely framed, but they're, they're, um, you know they're they're at a price that's lower than than my normal retail so i'm really careful though about like with projects like that where something is less than you know it's less than a gallery price that it is a specific project um you know like the that this is i did the plein air marathon i ended up only doing it once and i keep meaning to, to do it again um but this is for this specific project. So it's different than my other work. I think that's important because one, you don't want to start undervaluing your work by, you know, seeming like you're desperate. Yeah. And, um, and then also to have the good relationships with the galleries. Um, Cause if a gallery finds out like, wait, you're selling stuff out of your studio for half the price. 
no, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing a project that's very different. Um, I don't, I'm not putting six by eight paintings in galleries. Um, and it's the set project. Um, so for me, I, I, the, the nice surprise with those projects is that um, they were good from a marketing standpoint, but they're also really good from an artistic standpoint. Like the 12 paintings at Christmas um, helps me plan what studio paintings I want to do in the next year. Because I get to, you know, I, I try them out in this small format and there's a few of them that I'm like, ooh, that's an idea I want to go back to. So it's a nice transition sometimes between plein air and planning studio paintings. Um, so it, it helps me out that way. Um, but yeah, finding fun projects like that and making them, I think, making them exclusive for like, hey, this is going out to the, you're, you're a newsletter subscriber. That means you, you've chosen to follow what I'm doing. So I want to reward that with, you know, a, a project like this. Um, right. Yeah. And that's a very important point too. You know, if, if someone does take the time and, and you said this too, if someone takes the time to actually open your email and, and actually sign up, you know, like mm-hmm. that means that they are more than likely what, I guess what marketing people would call a lead, uh, which is a possible collector possible person who will buy your work maybe not now but maybe they will definitely in the future because you know a lot of people especially when buying paintings it it's sometimes it's like a a very tough decision for them or it's a decision that takes some time so it's very good to one you know have those newsletters coming in to remind them like hey i still exist and if you have some extra money and you see one of my paintings that you like you know here i am uh you got to remind people i exist i exist um, and that's such a key thing too. Um, and there's one other um, one other aspect to that that was mm-hmm. nicely surprising is that um, with those little projects that I've done, it's given people an opportunity to collect my work that never thought they would be able to own my work. And those it's the emails that I've gotten back from people, you know, that are like, oh, I. I never thought I would be able to own, I followed your work. I never thought I'd be able to own something and I'm going to buy an original, um, you know, and I, and I really feel for that because yeah. the only way I can get artwork myself is to do a trade. <laughs> you know, I, right. I don't have, I got three boys, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're hungry. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't have an art budget myself. So I get it that people are, not everybody can go out and drop, you know, five grand on a painting. Um, so you're finding like with those, I've realized I found a different market, um, than say necessarily like my gallery collectors. Um, and so I feel like it's, it's, it's good financially, but it's also, um, fun to hear the stories. I had one guy who, um, who bought one who had, he had gone, he emailed me and told me that he had gone blind. And um, he he said, it's funny, the two things that he, um, that bugged him the most about going blind was not being able to fully remember his wife's face. And then the other one was there was this painting that he had that was his. And he said, it's funny, I have it hanging in the bathroom. Um, I know that seems weird, but it's like where you spend a lot of time. So, um, and, uh, 
And he said, I, I hated not being able to see that painting. Mm. And he said he had a number of surgeries and he got sight back in one of his eyes. And he said, I haven't had that feeling that I had until I saw your painting. And so he, you know, the one that he purchased from that, the plane air marathon. So I got a bunch of stories like that where people were telling me like what these meant to them. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Um, you never really know who's watching your work and who's paying attention and how it touches them. I mean, every person is their own little world and, you know, again, that's that whole, oh, I'm stuck in my studio all day and I'm so disconnected, which is why it's so good to hear those stories because then you realize yeah. like, wow, you know, my my art isn't really complete until it has that observer that, how you said at the very, very beginning of the podcast, that observer that completes the narrative of the mm -hmm. painting and really breathes right. that life into it, which is oh, so poetic and beautiful. <laughs> it's like the life cycle yeah, and of it's painting. Hard when, when, you know, with the... Uh, for a lot of, you know, for most of my paintings, I don't, I don't know who owns them. I don't know if it's just an interior decorator who's supplying a house and mm -hmm. maybe someone doesn't barely looks at the painting or something like this story I just told you where, um, you know, someone is really connected on a deep level to the painting um, or anything in between. So finding out every once in a while, that people do connect on a, on a deeper level is really encouraging because, you know, you can start to feel kind of isolated. And um, I, I find it funny that I think sometimes people assume that you have, you, the artist have the same reaction to your work that they have to it. So if they love your paintings, then you must love that, that painting. Right. Yeah. And as an artist, I'm like, oh my God, you have no idea um, that I, I can't. Someone's asked me, you know, isn't it hard to give them up? No, I don't want to see them again. Please get them out of here. <laughs> because every painting has, has failure baked into it on some level. You know, you just you can't. I mean, that's the process. You can't quite get to the ideal that you're looking for. Um, and so um, having that kind of response occasionally from people is like, okay, I'll keep going. Um, I find that for myself, it, it's funny. Sometimes I will see a painting, say maybe a couple of years later in someone's house or um, that I did. And it's always this strange reaction of like, wow, that looks like a real artist did that. Like, that's not what I remember. <laughs> like, I just remember the struggle. And, and then I see it later. Sometimes if you see it in a nice context, well lit, or, you know, you, get, you finally get to go to a gallery show and you see it amongst other, the great paintings. Like, wait, that looks like real art. <laughs> that's a great point. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like right when you finish a painting and all you see is everything that went wrong and everything uh -huh. you couldn't figure out and then after some time that you forget about those things and you see it you know again it's almost like you see mm -hmm. it objectively you know you can't remember yeah. what it was that you struggled with probably right. because you overcame it in a in a subsequent painting right. but still it's like seeing 
your own work for the first time like that, I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah, I think it's important as as artists, you know, because it's easy to get, it's easy to go negative um, and to feel like, oh, I'm no good. And, um, you know, and, and also I think that's, that can be the poison of Instagram and social media is that you get on, get on social media and you start looking at all these other artists. And you're like, Oh my goodness. Like it's, you know, every once in a while it scares me because I'm like, there's all these great artists out there and they're going to figure out that I'm an imposter and you know, they're, I'm going to get kicked out of the club. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it, it can get, you know, you can look at other artwork and look at that stuff and, and feel like, Oh no, I'm not, I'm not up to that level. Um, so I really try to focus on what did I learn? What decisions did I make? Um, what experience did I have in the process? And sometimes it's, you know, there are paintings that I worked and reworked and reworked and finally went, you know what? It's time to move on. That. <laughs> that was a failed relationship. We're breaking up. Um, yes. And and so to rather than feeling bad about myself, I think it's really important just to find a way to step back, you know, get out of your own head and say, all right, where did I where did I lose my way on that one? And what did I learn from that? Because it's not a failed painting. It's a learning experience. And it's going to make you a better painter. Um, and to me, if you're failing, if, if you have, I'm going to call it failed paintings, um, it means that you're, you're, you're putting it out there, that you're, you're trying, you're not playing it safe. And that is so key um, to, to always be taking a risk. Um, and that's not to say like, I love going back. There are places that I will paint over and over and over and over again. Um, there's these deep relationships that I have with, with specific places, um, near my home, but at the same time, trying something where you step up to the easel and you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. Um, you should have a little bit of that sense of, Oh geez, here we go. You're jumping off a cliff. Um, and, uh, um otherwise something's wrong um, yes. yeah yeah it's that little bit of discomfort you know you really need that to really push your work to the next level i mean it's mm -hmm. it can be a little bit easy and very self-gratifying to always paint the same thing over and over just because people like it or maybe because galleries mm -hmm. like it and i totally get that because you know you need money right so, and galleries know what they can sell but at the same time you know you aren't just this thing that's producing work, right? You're still a person who, by their own right, first and foremost, you know, you're an artist for yourself. Um, and I love that you point that out, you know, the the importance of, hey, you know, find that one thing that's a little bit harder than normal and just like settle yeah. into it and it'll get easier over time. Right. To, not, not that the thing gets easier, but the doing it gets a little easier because you're less right. afraid of tackling it, which is so important. I, I can think of like a, a specific example would be for me would be over the past few years, getting um, more and more opportunities to go out and paint the, the coast, um, both in Maui and uh, California. 
um, and trying to paint plein air wave action, which is, you know, it, I always feel like my head is going to explode. Um, but it's been really, it's been a really rewarding process that every time I, I do it, um, you know, I've got a lot of failed experiments with trying to paint wave action from life. Um, but as I've gone on, I've started to develop a process of here's the things to look out for, um, you know, making clear decisions about, say, is, are you going to paint it where the water's coming in onto the sand or where it's coming, where it's coming back out because it's a completely different thing? Like, which moment are you going to pick? Are you going to pick the wave when it's hitting that rock or after or before? So finding those specific moments and then um, keeping the, the, the visual mental discipline to, to, to try to um, get those, you know, that, that specific moment. And, you know, I started to learn to look for is, okay, when that, say, a wave hits the rock, I'm looking at, um, this time I'm looking at the light, the light side of the wave. And then uh, five minutes later, the wave's coming in, and, okay, it's going to hit the rock again because it's often have to wait a while. This time I'm looking at the shadow. The next time I'm looking at the cast shadow. Um, and it's split seconds, but you start to, the more I've done it, the more I've been able to identify the different elements. Okay, the light's coming from here, this, this direction. It's angling down here. It's going to shine through the wave or it's going to. Um, so you start to develop some familiarity but you're still being very, very specific to observe a moment as though you've never seen it before. And I think that's the balancing act. You don't ever want to get to a point where you're like, oh, you know, lights over here, waves, wave action is coming this way, so this is how I paint a wave. Because then you're in, you're, you're, it's a recipe. Yeah. You don't want to be a, you know, it's like the difference between being a cook and a chef. You know, anybody can follow a recipe. You want to be the chef who's inventing a new dish. Um, oh, that's a great analogy. I love that. Oh, that's a good point. And you also made it sound like a Rubik's Cube, honestly. The whole just like putting it together little by little. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, and I guess it is a little bit like a Rubik's Cube if you think about it. Because you usually solve it the same exact way every time with the same mm -hmm. exact techniques, you could say. It right. won't be exactly the same, but same techniques. So it kind of reminds right. me of that. That is, wow. Yeah. That sounds like a and then it's always funny because it's like you got in a place like that where there's the people around. I always seem to have someone that walks up and go and and will say something like, "Oh, that looks so fun. That looks so relaxing." <laughs> and I think, okay. <laughs> oh my god! They generally it's smile. Really... And I'm like, okay. I think you. so. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, and little do they know. I mean, I feel like. You know, when you're really in that moment, it's probably the the moment where your brain, like you were saying, my brain's on fire. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> you look like you're because relaxed you, on the outside, but brain's on right. fire. <laughs> yeah, because it's a series of, you know, there is the, the intuition is one side of it, but then painting is a series of decisions and it's a series of reactions. I put down a color, I react to that color by putting another color next to it. Um, mm -hmm. And... It's making those constant evaluations between what's on the canvas, what's out there. I mean, this is the basics, but mm -hmm. that can be mentally 
exhausting. Um, and it's wonderful though that like I think if you're really in it though, it's that 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 work, that mental work is what makes you forget yourself yeah. and lose yourself to it. So it's that weirdly, I think it's that mental work that brings you to a place of spontaneity and intuition. Um, not the other people I think have it wrong where they think that, you know, artists can just be intuitive and, mm. you know, improvisational. Like, no, it's that work that leads me to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's same thing in acting. It's like in acting, you put you put massive amounts of work into every nuance of the character and how you react to the other characters, and you do all of this work and work and work, and then you have these moments, you know, these transcendent moments where you lose yourself in the character, and something different is happening. And because you've done all that work, you can go there. You can. Um, and I think the same thing is true in painting. You do all that work so that you can have those surprises. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, and that, again, you know, it's like you said, it's that intuition that it, it's built up over time, over, you know, experiencing. I feel like, because uh, I think Mal- Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about it. Um, it was called, uh, oh my God, I can't remember what it's called right now, but he blink it's called blink he actually talks about how intuition is experience but like on steroids basically it's like your brain has already taken these processes processes that you've experienced again and again and just streamlined them um in a way that you don't need to think about them necessarily it's just reaction immediate impulse which is so cool but you still obviously have to be aware you still you know you can't just full-on intuition i think that's impossible um right. you'll have to have that balance of awareness and intuition just so important right. to creating a beautiful painting too um wow this has been such a wonderful conversation um so i wanted to ask you uh do you have any upcoming workshops or any upcoming shows or anything else that you'd like to promote and also where can people see more of your work Okay, so uh, workshops for this next year. Um, I have one in May, um, Whidbey Island in Washington. So that's going to be a plein air and studio workshop that will be on my website very soon, um, soon as in within the next week or so. And then I'm teaching in June. I'm teaching uh, another workshop in New Mexico. Um, uh, it will. Uh, it is that one is already on my on my uh website and then i am doing the um pre-convention for the plein air convention i'm teaching a pastel um a one-day pastel course um leading up to the plein air convention um yeah and then i have my video that we talked about that just came out um that's it for the the workshop realm um so um you know obviously there's my my website um and sign up for my newsletter keep plugging um and that's just aaronsure.com um so the galleries i show out right now are uh, uh montana trails gallery in bozeman montana um the hughes scully gallery in balboa island 
and uh, Illum Gallery West, um, and that is in Phillipsburg, Montana. Um, stay tuned. I am going to start showing with um, a gallery in Salt Lake, so check back on my website. So putting that together, um, so that'll be a new one, and then uh, and then there's just my studio and the work I do there. Great. Yeah. And uh, what about your Instagram? <laughs> uh, my Instagram is at Aaron Schur. Um, just my name spelled out, um, and Facebook is just Aaron Schur as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for all of your amazing wise advice. (laughs) I'm definitely going to apply a lot of that to my own work and to my own uh, marketing side. Um, So thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me. It was a, a lovely conversation. I really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely.